GracePod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod. Today we're looking at wives and husbands from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through to 33. Um, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. Um, Such a controversial verse. I quite enjoy preaching at this at weddings, partly because of the way that you can see people's pupils dilating as you're speaking, as if to say you're not seriously going to say this in the 21st century. I mean, it just seems so Victorian, so primitive. So people think surely Christians can't really expect women to behave like this. And my favourite comeback in a wedding sermon is to, I always ask the bride-to-be why she's chosen this passage. And Christian women love these verses because they love Jesus and they love his word. Um, And there's something beautiful about it, but the culture can't see it. And it's partly because our culture's got a whole lot of hang-ups about the word submission that we've not understood properly. And it's partly because the logic for why the wife is to behave this way is so tightly tied to the gospel. So a culture that doesn't understand the gospel cannot understand submission. Whereas a Christian who loves the gospel should actually love submission. Do you want to say more about how the gospel and what is called for wives and husbands are connected? So I think it's there's something about the word submission when it falls on a Christian's ear is different because it's definitional of being a Christian that we are people who have discovered that autonomy is not the best thing. It's not what it's cracked up to be. So being in charge of my own life um, is not the highest aim in life. In fact, being a Christian is someone who's discovered that giving myself body and soul to someone who loves me and knows what's best for me and is stronger than me is the most freeing thing I can do. And that hanging on to my life is actually the the root to slavery. Um, and so when we hear the word submission, we know that there is a so- sort of submission, which is life giving when we give ourselves to the right person. Um, and I think, yeah, that's that's worth being aware of and it's different for us as christians as well because we have a savior who was so great and yet submitted to his father and so we we know that there's nothing demeaning about you know jesus was you know co-divine there was not he wasn't less than his father and yet he um submitted and so it it doesn't um i'm i'm just being like the greatest one there can be when I submit, I'm not demeaning myself. Hmm. And all the way through the passage, it is about the gospel. So almost every verse, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior as the church submits to Christ. So wives should submit everything for their husbands. And then the same for husbands. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 28, in the same way, in the same way as Christ and the church, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 29, just as Christ does the church. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Um, Mark Ashton, um, vicar of St. Andrew the Great in Cambridge, when we were both at university, used to say about this passage, when asked by a sort of hostile 
atheist. Um, oh, what do you think about wives submitting to your husband? He she used to say, oh, I, you won't understand that if you don't understand the Christian gospel, which is a great answer because he, he said, I'm not, I'm not going to have the argument with you about this particular part of Christian ethics divorced from the gospel that makes sense of it, that is all based on. And I, th- I think it's a really wise answer. Like to talk about Christian marriage is to talk about the gospel. Um, and actually, wonderfully, not even because the gospel is a bit like Christian marriage, but because Christian marriage is a bit like the gospel. So he quotes in verse 31 from Genesis from God's plan in creation, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And he says, this is referring to Christ in the church. So we've, we've seen this already in Ephesians in chapter three, where he says that human fatherhood is based on God being father, not the other way around. And we, I think we mentioned it in the, in the grace pod that it's not that God searches for an analogy to explain his relationship to us and lands on the idea of fatherhood. It's rather he is a father and then he makes the world to contain fathers so that we'd understand him. And it's the same thing here. God makes a world with marriages in it. He makes male and female human beings who can join together in sexual union so that we'll understand the relationship that we're made for with Christ. And that's a, a wonderful discovery that the world is created like that and God is in everything communicating himself through the world. But it also adds real dignity to marriage and it means that it's not some kind of distraction away from our Christian lives. This is the way, um, in fact, the, the relationship above all others where we could um, broadcast the shape of the gospel. Um, and therefore, it really matters. Um, so as a husband, I'm always proclaiming Christ in what I do, but I'm either saying a false thing about Christ when I'm you know, bullish or manipulative or or I'm saying a true thing about Christ when I'm laying down my life um, for my wife's ultimate good. And, and it mean, it adds a real dignity and significance to, to our marriages. I suppose the fact it's countercultural in a way is an advantage given the context of the last passage where we are called to be light in a world that's dark and to expose the world that's dark. So this is such a different way of doing relationships to our society nowadays. And rather than, again, we said this the last time, that rather than trying to minimise those differences of the Christian lifestyle, we should maximise them. So don't be ashamed that we do marriage differently because um, we're showing the, the light of the gospel in, in that. Um, and that is a, a danger in, in churches, I think, generally, that sort of thinking that, mission if we want to reach a world then we have to be chameleons and try and look as like the world and I think we all feel that pressure but some people even kind of say well this is what we're meant to be doing missionally and it's so refreshing to see no just just be light um, and let let leave the rest to God. Why don't we zoom in on what's said to each of wives and husbands um, having made the point it's mainly about the gospel um, so wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. As the church admits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Some people have, just a couple of points of sort of clarity, people have tried to say, well, verse 21 says, submit to one another. So surely a wife submits to a husband and a husband submits to his wife. And it's a sort of a two-way symmetrical thing. But actually that kind of misses the way that Paul develops it. So verse 21 is the heading, submit to one another. And then Paul develops it asymmetrically. So that for a wife, that means this. For a husband, that means something different. Um, and it's based on the asymmetry of the Christ and the church relationship. So we we couldn't take me in the church and sw- swap places and it worked the same way. You know, he is the saviour. I am the one who follows him as my head. Um, the, the other way people have tried to sort of dodge the teaching of it is to argue about the meaning of head. So the Greek word kephale and people have, some people have said, well, maybe it means source. So um, Adam is the source of Eve because she's taken from his rib. So maybe it's not really about authority. It's just about where you come from in creation. And again, I think Ephesians, just studying Ephesians really helps with that because we've already seen heads and bodies all the way through the, the letter. And Christ is the head and the church is the body brought under him. And it has the idea of unity to becoming one. And it has the idea of authority that Christ is our master. So I, I think we we can't dodge it in those ways. It means an asymmetrical relationship where a wife submits to her husband and not vice versa. And where he is the head which means he's the one with authority. But it's all based on the gospel. So as, as you said before, that the Christian has discovered that it's it's a real privilege to give up your independence and put your life in the hands of somebody that loves you. And ev- every Christian knows that. So that's the Christian wife's testimony. Um, interestingly, he spends longer. We think the wife's got the hard job, but Paul spends longer on what the husband has to do. And... He says, oh, husbands just have to love their wives. And people think, well, that's easy enough. But actually, the way he defines love all the way through Ephesians, we saw the same thing in the beginning of chapter five, is a very different kind of love. Um, Do you want to talk us through some of the ways in which Christ's love for the church is specific and different? Yeah, so the... The sort of love that we're called to is, first of all, sacrificial. We see that in verse 25 love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is a high calling. Um, And it's also a a kind of purposeful love, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendour. And it's also, later on we're going to see, it's a, I don't know the best word for this, but it's a sort of self-beneficial love, because as the husband loves his wife, it serves, it bounces back and blesses him. Um, and I think these are three really important aspects of a husband's love. And if you if you do the thought experiment and kind of imagine a husband who had only grasped what two of the three, he wouldn't be the husband he's called to be. So, for example, if he hadn't grasped that his love is to be sacrificial, well, he he'll just love when it's easy and it's nice, but not put in the hard yards when it's difficult um or if he has he hasn't grasped the second thing that it's a purposeful love he's trying to beautify his life his wife make enable her to be more holy and precious to god um then he will just be a yes man he'll he'll want to please her but um whatever she says will go and he won't be thinking actually that isn't always the best thing for her godliness 
Um, it's interesting. I reckon that's the mistake a lot of evangelicals make. So we've we hear rightly the sacrificial thing, and we emphasise husbands be sacrificial for your wives, but we forget the purpose thing, and so it can end up like it's sort of the opposite of submission. So my wife submits to me, and I decide whatever she wants, <laughs> you know, because I love her. So which sort of cancels out the leadership aspect to it. So the husband is to make a costly decision that is best for the gospel and best for his wife's godliness, which won't always be what she wants. And I guess that's why marriage, I mean, for for both husband and wife, is a route out of selfishness. It's not just somebody else helping me to be self-fulfilled. It's somebody else leading us as a couple to be holy which it will be costly decisions and hard decisions so you know the classic thing of should you move to the little house in the country that where your wife would really like to live well it depends is there going to be a church there where you can serve is there going to be a gospel need there that you can meet um is it going to help you to live for the new creation for the lord and so yeah loving doesn't mean doing what you want it means doing what will serve you so that's two of them sacrificial and um, purposeful. purposeful. And then the last one. Yeah, and, and this one, the, the the basis of it is when he quotes in verse 31, Genesis, and he says, look, when a man and a, a, a woman join together, they become one. And in the context of Genesis, um, Eve has been created out of Adam, so they, they come back together and they, they become one entity in some sense. And that it's that logic that means that when the husband is now serving and loving his wife, because they're one, he will reap benefit from that. Um, and that's a, a key motivator, actually. Um, the um, I think it's Bride and Prejudice, the film, it has the slogan, happy wife, happy life. But there, there is something true that as the, the more he um, loves and serves her, the, the better his uh, life will be because they're joined together I mean the idea of an abusive husband there's something very self-destructive about that because they're one he's he's effectively um, attacking himself um, yeah and this is a, a key motivator for the the husband to, that God has r- arranged the world such that he will help himself when he loves her I love the um, the way um, Jesus approach to beauty his courtship is so different from ours so you know husbands usually go after the the prettiest girl they can find jesus finds the kind of deformed gnarly hag you know with halitosis and then decides well i'm gonna clean her up um and he dies for her and he washes her and he, he beautifies her and and that dynamic is so critical for a husband to understand because how how well firstly there's there's two types of um women in the world there's there's women who will get more and more beautiful uh, christian women hope have that potential um if you're not a christian then there isn't that hope and so you know for young men they need to discover that there's two options here and you don't want to go for um someone who's not going to get more beautiful in their character um, you want to marry a Christian, but then how do you, how do you encourage and help your wife so that at your fiftieth anniversary she's more radiant than when you married her? And the answer is that grace makes beauty. This is how Jesus makes his bride beautiful. He just 
gives himself for her, loves her. And so every time it's a difficult situation, he can try and other, you know, husbands will try um, manipulation or trying to, you know, give their expectations, try and make their wife the way they want them, but it won't, it'll backfire. It won't make beauty. Mm. Whereas if he, he shows a, uh, love and, and grace, she will be beautified. And that's a, it's a lovely dynamic. Should we finish by just talking some applications for marrieds and for singles? So um, you're married and you often um, help prepare people for marriage. Um, and I'm single and people say, oh, you know, does this passage have anything to say to singles? So um, I'll start. And I, I think it does. I think it's a beautiful passage because, of course, in a way, it's instructions to wives and it's instructions to husbands. But ultimately, it's about the gospel. So um, all people in the church will be united to Christ and we're all in this relationship. So I, I did a talk for singles once where I, my slogan was marriages for singles too. <laughs> and it's just the point is we are headed for this final wedding day. Um, as the bride of Christ and that means I should really value Christian marriages around me because they're the thing that points me to it so as a single person I don't have to have marriage myself to value it and to benefit from it in society as the big signpost God has put in place for to my future so for that reason I love it um it means I should pray for it because it's so significant as a display of the glory of the gospel in the world that I need to pray for Christian marriages to be protected from adultery and from breakdown and from abuse. And and um, as a member of the church, I should care about marriage and want marriage to flourish. Um, and of course, you know, I'm blessed in all sorts of other ways by married friends such as yourselves as well. So um, I think married um, single people should love this passage. Um, tell us a bit about how you prepare people for marriage, given this passage. Some of Lots of the things we've we've covered about um, th- how the, this passage can motivate us when it's difficult. Um, I think one of the key things to discover is that we are given commands to ourselves. Not say a husband is never told, "Husband, make sure your wife is submissive," or is or vice versa. That one of the key discoveries is is that the Lord has a calling for you and it's independent of the calling on the other one. So I stand before the Lord and he, one day he will say, have you loved your wife sacrificially, purposefully, etc." And it's, there is a sort of um, freedom that comes from that. So obviously, you know, there's an upward spiral and if um, each partner does their part well, it makes it easier for the other one. But even if it, that's not happening, we are called to our part, and that and that um that 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 makes things more straightforward i'm not always waiting for someone else i can just get on with it um and and i think once we there's there's no higher view of marriage in any text anywhere in the world any religion any philosophy than these verses here um and so it just lifts my gaze and makes me think investing here is a very significant thing this is the um illustration par excellence for the gospel and i should take that very seriously and in terms of people in a relationship with someone who's not a believer um obviously some people find themselves in that situation already because they made a mistake or because one of them was converted after they were married or 
Um, somebody turned their back on the Lord after their marriage. I can think of people in all those situations. And the New Testament does address you elsewhere. So in 1 Peter, Peter talks about women married to husbands who aren't believers. And it's really tough. And yet the same model of, of living as a Christian wife is might win over the husband. But if you're not in the situation, I guess this is a passage that says you wouldn't want to marry somebody who couldn't understand what marriage was about, what it was for, the basis of how you were to behave. So I guess it's a, if you're thinking he will be my life partner, um, men choose a woman who will love this passage and women choose a, a man who will live by this passage. And therefore it's got to be someone who knows the Lord. And sometimes the bar in the youth group talk is quite low. You know, are they of the opposite sex? Are they a close relative or not a close relative? Um, are they a Christian? And tick, 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 off you go. Um, this passage, I hope, says, no, there's a lot more questions you need to ask. Is this someone I, if you're a husband, could love sacrificially? If you want to be a wife, is this someone I could entrust with my spiritual uh, life and the spiritual lives of any children and th- it, this we're yeah th- this um, means that we won't settle too quickly because uh, we see what a high calling it is thank you for listening to grace pod for more information about grace church greenwich visit www.greenwich.church